Welcome to Confessions of a Melanated Queen, a podcast designed to celebrate achievements within black culture. Here's your host, Dr. Lauren Meeks. Welcome back to Confessions of a Melanated Queen. Um, I just want to start off this week as always making my first confession of the week. Um, guys, I confess over the years, you know, um, I think I've been a little, you know, insensitive to some of the language that I've chosen to use as it relates to mental health and wellness. You know, I've, I've dealt with a lot of personal issues as it relates to mental health and wellness. I have family members who have dealt with it, friends and family, all of those good things. And the thing about it is that sometimes we forget that our words do hurt. So for an example, if you're dealing with a person who is, you know, maybe their behavior is not what you want it to be. You know, we have a habit of saying things like, she must be bipolar or, you know, she's crazy. He's crazy. And the thing about it is that as we grow into our knowledge, we understand that, you know, there are people who are really dealing with some things and the more we use those type of terms and the more we make fun or the the more we are um, not really paying attention to the, the death and the importance of being mindful of our words, we're, we're not really, we're given power to, um, how can I say it? to us not really taking it serious and people may not be getting the help that they need. So I wanted to bring on a colleague of mine, Kamisha Jones, who is the founder of Sister Afia and the Bold and Bipolar blog, um, because she is a champion in the advocacy for mental health and wellness. Um, I've known Kamisha for a couple of years now, and she's always been very open and, and honest about her own personal dealings with this particular topic. And not only that, she's taking the steps to make sure that she empowers our community. So Kamisha, welcome to Confessions of a Melanated Queen. Thank you for having me. No problem. So tell us about Sister Afia and your blog, Bold and Bipolar. Sure. Sister Afia was founded out of my personal experience of living with a mental health condition and not having knowledge about, you know, mental wellness or resources that I could access and also um, having a community of support. In 2013, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and it drastically changed my life because I never thought in a million years that I would have bipolar disorder. When I was in my last semester of undergrad, you know, I thought I was dealing with like some depression and anxiety. But when um, I was hospitalized for um, on the second time, they said, no, you really have bipolar disorder. And once I accepted it, I was like, wow, you know, because I would have I don't think I ever made jokes about bipolar disorder, but I just saw it as something that I could never have. So after being diagnosed and. Um, just really feeling ashamed about it. Um, I went to therapy, intensive therapy for months. Um, I put in a lot of work and through that, I began to tell people about it and not feel ashamed about it. And my mother told me, you know, don't let this be an experience that breaks you, use it to help other people. So in 2015, I originally had the idea of Sister Afia. And at first I wanted it to just be an online platform for black women who live with mental health conditions where they can support one another online. But when I officially launched it in 2017, I said, well, why don't we just take this to the community because people need in-person community support rather than um, 
rather than just like being online. I do think being online is helpful, but I believe in the power of community and relationships and how actually having those face-to-face relationships as Black women can make a big difference. So Sister Afia focuses on um, sustaining the mental wellness of Black women through sharing information, building community, and connecting Black Women Equality Mental Wellness Services. And we do that through our mental wellness education, which looks like our community workshops um, and some of our large-scale events, such as the Expo that we have yearly and which the Black Mental Wellness Weekend, which we'll have for the second time this fall on Veterans Day weekend. We also... um, bring people who are looking for services and black providers together. So one of the biggest obstacles with mental wellness is actually, you know that you might be struggling with mental wellness or have a mental health condition, but actually get into a person that can help you is really hard. So we try to make um, events that bring together people who like actually provide mental health and wellness services and people who are looking for it to make it easy you know um, for people to actually meet people in person and we also have online resources on our website and lastly the community support so we have a monthly sister support group um, and we do most of our events on the south side of chicago and we also have um, you know our workshops are also a form of community support as well so that is uh, sister afia what we do how it was founded and um, you know how we're making you know an impact in chicago well, I, I wanted to share this because this part of one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is because I'm learning so much about this particular topic through you and then even some of the work that I do. In the past, I spent eight years working in higher education and in the college setting, there were counselors on staff. And so the minute someone said something that seemed like it was something we could not handle, we'll go grab a counselor and we'll connect them. When I transitioned to nonprofit work, it, that those resources weren't there. And so oftentimes you would have to kind of just work with a client for a little while and then and help them navigate through some of the resources. But I will give you an example of why one of your recent events was so important to me. Uh, I work in a setting now where, you know, my clients are, um, they're young adults. And so they, they are in a position where they can help, you know, make their own decisions about their health and wellness. And some of the things that the, the common, um, theme that I'm hearing with them is that they recognize that talking to to someone will be very helpful for them, but they want to meet with someone that they can relate to. So in other words, you know, some of them, they they struggle with meeting with someone and sitting with someone who is non-black, to be honest, to be quite frank. some examples are, you know, I don't want to keep telling my story over and over again and trying to explain my environment and some of the history that I've had to a person because they don't get the culture. And so they want to sit with someone who, who understands some of the, the groundwork and the foundation first, and they could just kind of focus on them. So that led me to one of your recent mixers where you combined um, the community through the, the clients, potential clients and community members who were seeking help and practitioners and professionals who can provide the the help. And it was really awesome to watch how that worked. I mean, people were able to sit one-on-one with people. They kind of rotated. We sat in very comfortable environments. And I've, I, I, even as a, a, um, 
nonprofit leader, a case manager myself, I sat with people who explained to me the type of services they provide, the insurance they may take. And then I was able to walk away with resources for my clients. And so for one, I just want to tell you that that was an awesome experience. Um, so tell, talk to me a little bit more about your understanding of just what I was just mentioning with the theme of people feeling like, okay, I'm at the point where I'm ready to talk to someone, but I need someone who I can relate to. And how does Sister Afia help with that? Sure. So um, one thing I can say is that I, my therapist right now is a black woman and I've been able to connect with her in a way that I wasn't able to connect with, with, you know, a white therapist. Um, And I think that's because there's just a, a certain level of sensitivity, competence, understanding that she has because she is a black woman. Um, but my psychiatrist is a white woman and she's excellent. She's excellent. Um, but I will say that there have been times in that psychiatry session where I'm explaining something and she doesn't get it. You know, I'm talking about racial stress, racial based stress, um, things that are events that are happening. She's like, Oh, oh, that's so sad. Right. But like, Mm -hmm. if I go and talk to her about my black therapist, she was like, we're having like a real conversation about it, you know? So I think that it does make a difference. Um, Some people don't care, you know, whether they have a black provider or not, but I think for us, and especially in a city like Chicago, where it's really segregated and people, I believe to some extent have a little bit of more mistrust of people who are not black, that is even more important, um, in my opinion. But the mixer was an effort to take off the red tape. So one of the issues with mental, the mental health care system is it feels more like, uh, like you're going to the doctor or healthcare than just like getting what you need and information. So, you know, making it easy for people, you literally come to this event, it's free, you can meet over 30, you know, mental health and wellness providers, and then you can make the decision yourself about who you want to go with. But actually having that face-to-face interaction instead of like, man, I got to call somebody, I got to go back and figure out my insurance, how I'm going to pay for it. Does this person even provide what I need? A lot of people are looking for a therapist, but they're not necessarily narrowing down what do it what am i dealing with and does this person actually specialize in this so i think that the mixture was great because it just was like i don't want to say it was like a party but it was it was a way to meet um providers and providers to be able to meet people from the community in a way that was a uh, face-to-face contact it wasn't intimidating it was very natural and so that was one of the things that i thought went really well with the mixer and that was the how i had the idea to do it on a larger scale okay it sounds good so considering, you know, I know you, you just mentioned that a, a lot of people really don't even, they, they know they may want to see a therapist, but they're not, they're not really quite sure what they're dealing with. Um, do you, what, what do you think the role of, you know, this topic being stigmatized? What, what, what role does that play in people actually seeking help and seeking it properly? So um, people don't necessarily look at mental um mental health conditions in the same way that they look at other conditions that people deal with. So, you know, when you have a cold, 
you take medicine, right? right. Um, if you have the flu, you go to the doctor. And so people aren't necessarily looking at mental health and wellness as the same way. Your mind is one of, is if not the most, one of the most powerful parts of your body. And so if your mind is not operating at its best, then everything else in your life will deteriorate. So having an understanding about that, but also kind of normalizing that, you know, a mental health condition is what most people deal with in their life. So they say, I believe one out of four, one out of five people in the U.S. have a mental health condition reported. Now, there are so many people who go undiagnosed, one, because they don't, they have, they haven't come to terms with what they're dealing with, but also because of the stigma, they're just like, oh, I don't have that. Or they see it as something that makes them crazy or a character flaw. And so I think what's really beautiful in this moment is we're having some of your biggest people in the entertainment industry coming out and saying that they have depression, they have anxiety, they have bipolar disorder, they have eating disorders. And so what it does is it shows people that these are some people you admire and they have it too. So if they're able to come out and talk about it or able to seek help, then it's okay for you to seek help too. One of the other things that I'll um, bring up is that Black people go undiagnosed longer. And so what happens when you go undiagnosed longer, your condition worsens, just like if, say, you, um, going back to it, if you had the flu and you never took medicine, you never went to go help, get help, it's going to get worse, right? And so it's the same thing with mental health. Like for myself, there were signs that I had bipolar disorder. And when I was talking to my mom about it, all the way until I was like maybe my last year in high school. Um, but it gradually got worse over time until I had a psychotic break. And so then it got to a point where I have to be on medication. I have to do these things with maintenance because my mind had a break. And so if I had, you know, identified or told people what was going on with me years earlier, about three or four years earlier, I might not have the severity of what I'm dealing with right now. And a part of the reason why I didn't tell anybody was because of the stigma. Mm. You know, there's one of the things that's been concerning me and just as we were talking about this, it really made me think about it recently. And my son is very young. He's, he's only eight. And he'll be nine soon. We had to talk to him about suicide. And the reason why we did is because we're noticing even in my peer group, the the people who I'm, you know, who are within my network, they have children and almost all of them have a they're one of their their children's friends have committed suicide it's just literally everybody who i know has a child who knows someone their age who committed suicide and i was at an event a few weeks ago and i think they said that within that age group like adolescent years that suicide is the second um leading cause of death for the age group and so things are happening within our community that we either didn't have did, either didn't happen before we didn't pay attention to it or we blamed it on something else and so I'm wondering with that stigma, you know, and, and I'm not sure how often you work with children, but are, are we having a conversation? Is that helpful? And if so, what should we be doing to try to prepare our kids in terms of telling them, you know, if you're dealing with something, if you're experiencing something, how can we talk about it? How can we get them help? What, what, what conversations do you think that parents should be having with their children about this topic? Um, that's a really good question. I think, um, parents having daily check-ins with their children, not just when something goes wrong. But, you know, there was a time, and I think it still happens where 
families ate dinner together, right? Mm-hmm. You could yeah. sit at the table and really talk about what was going on. How was your day? You know, how, how are your friends doing? How, um, how was school going? You know, all of those different things. So I think like having daily check-ins is important because a lot of times when people commit suicide, they were like, oh my God, I saw no signs. But a lot of times there are signs that are leading up to it that people aren't necessarily paying attention to. So I think just having daily check-ins, um, really explaining why some people make the decision to commit suicide, it can be very uncomfortable. But um, also getting at the core of why people do self-harm and commit suicide. So, for example, um, in social work, what we learned um, was that usually before somebody takes an act of self-harm, whether that's cutting, burning, um, or trying or making an attempt to take their life, or there is a, a, an, an event that happens that is a part of the trigger that makes them want to do it. So really even getting at if someone is talking about suicide, well, what is happening? What is that event that is happening that is causing the behavior to make the attempt? So that is something else that I encourage um, parents to do. If they're having a child who's talking about suicide or if suicide is happening a lot around them, is figuring out like what is the event that's happening before the person decides to take the action because that's that's where that's where the healing needs to be it doesn't necessarily need to be the behavior necessarily it, we don't want the behavior to happen but it has to be what happened before the thought the event that happened before that person decided to take their lives and then i will also say you know having the person go to you know therapists or counseling to have an outlet to talk about it outside of the parents um, at school, they have counselors, and sometimes you can find counselors outside of school, but having somebody be able to talk about it with someone that they trust outside of the parents as well, because a lot of times kids can be afraid to tell their parents what's going on, but they might not be afraid to tell a counselor or, you know, someone else. Right, because I, I know I feel like I overwhelm my son with questions every day. You know, he gets off of school, and I'm like, what happened today? How do you feel? Who was nice? Who was mean? Was it a good day? Was it a bad day? I think think at times he's, but that's because of the the work that I do, stories that I hear, and I want to be more cognizant of what's really happening and not, you know, turn a blind eye to it though. So um, I definitely appreciate your feedback on that. So do you think that there is a difference in, as it relates to black men and women, do you think that there is more a level of acceptance among one age, not age group, one gender more than the other? Do you think there are more women or more men or is it equal? Um, is there a disparity? Is there a difference at all in the, um, the amount of support or help that men, black men and women are seeking in terms of mental health and wellness? Yes. Um, I'll say that I think um, that black women are maybe more likely to get help than black men um and maybe get it sooner but i also like to throw out there is that there are way more black women that are helping professionals counselors therapists social workers than there are black men so i think that black women have more opportunities to get connected to a helping professional than that is a black woman than black men do so even thinking about the events that i do it is so easy find black women who are ready to talk about it who want to go to events who want to seek therapists who are therapists but then when it comes to black men i'm 
I'm going through a roller that's trying to find people, you know? So I think that the availability of um, black, black helping professionals is, uh, does make an impact on how black men versus black women can have access to help. It's particularly if they want somebody of the same race and the same gender. I'll also say that black women um, and just women in general probably are more vulnerable in talking about what's going on with them than men because men you have the masculinity aspect of like you got to be tough you can't show weakness you got to be strong and what that does is that it hides what's happening because actually saying like oh I'm dealing with something actually admits that I may have a flaw that I may not be as strong that I may not be um as like resilient so I think that masculinity and sometimes toxic masculinity prevents men from taking that step to get help. I do think that there are more um, men who are uh, who are seeking help in this time, but I think it just takes a little bit longer. And I think that um, men having conversations with one another can also be difficult because, you know, admitting to your friend and he's a man that like, oh, I'm dealing through this thing, like, no, nah, man, bro, you good, right? But if it's a woman, you're like, girl, what's going on? Like, how can I help you? And I'm not saying men don't do this too, but I think even in talking with, about it to friends and family, it's probably a, a different experience. Right, right. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how I can ask this next question because I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm wording it right so that it's not misunderstood. But one of the things that I think I've been challenged with is, you know, we live in a culture now with social media where the, what what's trending is what's trending and what's popular and what, what everybody's doing. So my fear that I have, and I want you to kind of help if you can help me guide me through this thought process is that, especially as it relates to therapy, that there are people who have truly, you know, embraced and accepted the fact that therapy is helpful and that is needed. Um, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. And then I do think there's a population. It may not be very big, but there are some people that they see that it's trending. Mm. And so they want to get a therapist. Do you think that the recent movement, and I've noticed a shift to where, you know, especially people of color are starting to embrace mental health and wellness, you know, as just something that we need to address, something that we need to do. But do you think, and do you see if there are some who just see it as my friend is getting therapy, so I need a therapist too. Um, is that possible? Is that happening from your perspective? Um, I think that it is. I also think, um, I would agree that there are a certain number of people who just want a therapist just to have a therapist, just to say they have a therapist. But then I think there are some people who are just very curious about what is this therapist thing and what could an experience be like for me to have a therapist? Now, what people, how you separate the pack is the people who are ready to go through the grunt work or the healing process and the people who aren't. So there are people who are ready for a therapist, but they're not ready to heal. You know what I'm saying? They're ready for a therapist, but they're not ready to actually do the work. And I've personally done a lot of work in therapy. When I got out of the hospital five years ago, wow, I can't believe I'm saying that five years ago, I was in intensive outpatient treatment in groups nine hours a week for six weeks. 
that takes a certain level of dedication. That takes a certain level of vulnerability. I was seeing a psychiatrist. I go to therapy now about every two to three weeks um, just because I'm at a different place. But I've had a lot of breakthroughs with my current therapists, which have been really uncomfortable and really hard, but I'm healing because of that. You know, so I think there's some people who want a therapist, but they're not ready to heal and they're not ready to do that grunt work because when you're going to therapy, you're going to have somebody who is going to hold the mirror up to you and pushing you and supporting you to get to where you want to be. And some people aren't necessarily really ready for that. I also think that um, there is miseducation about what therapists do. I know as a social worker, one of the things that I have to tell people, uh, whether it's the participants that I serve or people who I'm colleagues with, is that we don't fix people. Mm-hmm. You know, So I think people come to therapists and looking to get fixed, and that's not what we do. You know what I'm saying? We don't just wave a magic wand and fix all your problems. All the work comes from you. What we do is ask certain questions. We support you into where you want to be, but we're not fixing you. You, you, have to, you have to change yourself. You know how they often say when you're dating, you can't change a man. You know, he, you can never change people. People have to change themselves. So I also think that's another thing that people um, don't get is that therapists aren't life fixers. You mm-hmm. know, that's not what they do. And so I think part of it is it's trending. It's like, oh, I want a therapist. I want a therapist. I think everybody should maybe try therapy at some point in their life to see if it works for them. But there are also a lot of things outside of therapy that are just as healing. And I think that those options should be explored too. Right. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit more about your blog, Bold and Bipolar. What's that all about? What do you do with that? So bold and bipolar is literally saying like, fuck stigma. Pretty much that's like (laughs) what bold and bipolar does. So I um, find people all across the world who are living with bipolar disorder and who are unashamed about it. And what's powerful about that is that it's a photo blog. It's an inspirational photo blog, meaning that people are able to see everyday people who live with bipolar disorder and they're able to, um, they're able to see the commonalities that they may have with these people. So bold and bipolar celebrates the beauty, brilliance and boldness of people living with bipolar disorder around the world. And so one of the things that's really beautiful about bold and bipolar is that people are seeing like people who they know, everyday people who live with it and how like they're able to still do dope shit like you know what I'm saying like there are so many cool people on the blog so many cool people so like one of my favorite people is um Iris Patterson she has her her beauty products are in Whole Foods like she is a visionary she has so many different um talents and she has one of the top hair care lines in Chicago right And so it shows people like you can still have bipolar disorder. You can still, you know, heal and improve and still do um, whatever it is that you want to do. Then I'll also say another person that I really liked was Laura Templeton. And Laura, um, she created a suicide prevention app called Safety Net. And she struggles with suicide, self-harm, and bipolar disorder. And so she's using what happened to her to help other people. And I see so many commonalities um, with the blog of people who 
are brilliant, who are creative, who think in certain kinds of ways. And it shows people that um, these people are just like you. And I think physically seeing them in photos as well helps them to like understand that these are everyday people. These aren't necessarily how, how bipolar disorder is depicted. Okay. Well, one of the things I, I wanted to ask you, you know, as, as we talk about the, the blog and, and showcasing people who look just like us, who live just like us, who are still dealing with these challenges, who are doing excellent dope stuff. What are, the th- what are some of the things that we can do outside of therapy in terms of a holistic approach to make sure that we maintain our health and wellness as much as possible? I mean, as it relates to whether it's, you know, and I'm just naming things that I hear and I'm not sure if, if this is, you know, <laughs> something that, that, that people should consider or not, but I hear about meditation. I hear about, of course, um, consuming the right foods and making sure that we're, we keep our bodies clean. How does that impact our mental health in general, in your opinion? And what can people do to make sure that, you know, if it, while they're waiting to see a therapist or in between therapy sessions, what can they do to make sure that they stay as healthy as possible for their mental health? So I will say that um, there are a variety of different things that people can do. So, you know, there's exercise, there's nutrition, um, there's therapy, there can be just like classes that you do. There's daily maintenance things like whether making sure that you're not putting too much on your plate, especially as black women. I'll say it again, making sure you're not putting too much on your plate (laughs) so that you're not overwhelmed. Um, creating boundaries. Actually, this week in Sister Support Group, we're going to be talking about creating boundaries and why that's important. Um, but those things are important as well. I also think getting time outside. Um, I'm originally from um, Southern Maryland. I'm originally a country girl. And it's hard for me to be in Chicago sometimes because I can't be outside as much as I want to be. And so I think actually being outside, connecting with nature, Um, is really important. I think taking time away from the screen, so whether that's a computer, cell phone, tablet, TV, is also really important for mental wellness. Um, Some of the things that I personally like to do, um, I like to exercise, and I know a lot of people talk about yoga, but for me, I love, like, cardio intensity, (laughs) you know, high-intensity workouts, because anytime if I'm feeling frustrated or, you know, if I have a lot on my mind, putting it all into like um, myself, but through a workout is really fun. I also like to journal. Um, I think writing down what's going on with you is really powerful. Meditating, I used to meditate a lot. I haven't done it as much as, as of late, but also just maybe getting some acupuncture, maybe uh, getting a massage, uh, going swimming. Like there's so many things that you can do, but it depends on what your needs are. So for me living with bipolar disorder, you know, there's the two levels. You have the mania and you have the depression. Um, for a long time, I experienced the depression more than the mania. Um, and the depression is, you know, feeling sad, feeling down, you know, um, all of those things. But then you have the mania piece, which is the racing thoughts, uh, thinking you can take on the world or doing whatever you want to do, um, being irritable and agitated and different things like that. But because of what my symptoms are, my plan for community care, for self-care has to be around what I'm personally dealing with. So I always tell people to think about personally just one, what do you like to do? 
um, that can help you with where you're, where you are with your mental health condition. And then what are the things that you absolutely have to do as your maintenance for your symptoms and your triggers? Got you. Well, I will share that. Um, one thing that I found that is so refreshing for me is getting up early before my family wakes up. It's been very difficult for me to do that recently because I really don't get enough rest in the evening, which I'm going to work on. But in the past, especially, you know, about three or four years ago, I would get up early, like five o'clock in the morning before my family woke up and to have an hour, even a half hour to myself watching HGTV or drinking a, a cup of coffee and doing nothing made a huge difference in my day. When I did not have that time to myself, I, I just wasn't the same. You know, I was not as nice or patient with people. <laughs> it just wasn't the same. So just having, I found that, that, that space, you know, in my life to where I had to just carve out an hour of time alone, you know, and just be with Lauren and God and do whatever I want to do, you know, whether it's watch TV or be quiet and read a book. Even when I was at school working on my doctorate, just getting up in the morning and doing homework alone was very refreshing and to me therapeutic. So I definitely would agree with you that, you know, we, we ought to find something, something that gives us peace, you know? Uh, and so I tr I'm trying to get back into that. If I can just get to bed a little earlier then I can get up at five and, you know, uh, and, and, and it's still difficult because sometimes people are still up at that time, but I really do need to spend time alone. And for me, that's very helpful. So, okay, well, I want to touch on, uh, because by the time this episode airs, you would have already had this event, but you have uh, an expo coming up. Tell us about that and what, you, which, what do you foresee that looking like for the community? So um, the Black Mental Wellness Expo, we're in our second year, which is really exciting. And what we do is to bring resources, so people who are providers, to be able to meet people in person, a little bit similar to the Mixer, except we also have a community education portion where we have workshops all throughout the day. And this year is really great because last year we focused on women and children, but this year we're going to have something for uh, adolescents all the way to seniors. So this year is going to truly be a family affair. So we are extremely excited about that. And then the purpose of the expo is just community connection and empowerment. So people connecting with other people in the community or resources, um, and then just people being able to meet other people who are struggling with, um, whether it's, you know, things in their personal lives or things in their professional lives and people actually being able to meet people who provide services. So the goal of the expo, again, like a lot of Sister events are to bring together people who are seeking services and people who are providing services in an environment that is not intimidating, that is not, um, that is not, uh, uh, how could I say this? An environment that is comfortable, that is comfortable for them. And I'm working, uh, I'm one of the co-founders along with Kenya Atwater. She has a foundation that funds people mental health services. And Chanel Hill, um, she really focuses on trauma um, with um, black and brown youth. And so she's another person who we all have co-founded the expo. And we all live with mental health conditions. One of the other things that I don't mention as often, but it's really important to me, are the people who are dealing with something become the leaders. Um, because a lot of times um, doctors and other health professionals, they're not, they don't have the lived experience of having a mental health condition, but they get to make the decisions, right? Um, so I think it's really important to have people who I'm working with who actually live with different things and have a different level of understanding, a different level of commitment and passion. I do think there are um, 
helping professionals that do have that. But it's another thing when you live with something as far as, you know, how you, how you see things in your perspective. I will also say that I always believe that the people who are impacted should not be cast aside, you know, and I think that happens a lot with anything, whether your people are talking about poverty, whether people are talking about um, racism, we, we, we're dealing with it, but a lot of times we don't get to make the decision. So I'm happy to be working with two women who live with depression and anxiety um, and they're able to use that power to actually come up with ideas to make a difference. Okay. Well, I, I have really learned a lot today talking to you um, about this particular topic, though. So I really appreciate you sharing and being so transparent about it. Um, this is very helpful. What can people, how can people find you or Sister Afia, Sister Afia events? Are you on social media and how do they follow your blog? So um, people can go to Sister Afia on Instagram and that's spelled S-I-S-T-A-A-F-Y-A. Um, we're also on Facebook under Sister Afia. You can go to www.sisterafia.com. Again, that's spelled S-I-S-T-A-A-F-Y-A.com. And then Bold and Bipolar is, uh, that's the name. So it's B-O-L-D-A-N-D-B-I-P-O-L-A-R.com. Um, we have monthly features where we feature people who are living with um, bipolar disorder. And so every month there'll be, you know, a new person and a beautiful picture to introduce you to them. And um, that's how you can find both of those uh, platforms. You know, I, I almost forget, and I knew there was something I wanted to bring up to you, <laughs> um, coloring books. So let me just give you a little backstory. When I, a couple of years ago, I was at a professional development um, uh, session. It was a workshop. And there were crayons and pieces of paper and just coloring materials on on the table. Now, I thought, that's why I said I'm, I'm learning. I thought that this may be a part of the exercise for the day before hours passed. And, you know, the facilitator did not address the coloring materials, but people had begun to color while they were sitting there listening. And I was thinking, this is a few years ago now. So I was thinking, okay, first of all, th those don't belong to you. Uh, maybe you should wait until they give you instructions. <laughs> I mean, this is literally the way I was thinking at the time. And then someone who I worked with so sh shared with me, she said, you know, coloring is very therapeutic. I mean, it was probably their intentional. I really didn't understand. I came back to the office and said, why, why were people coloring? And she explained to me because her background um, is in health education. She explained to me that that was probably intentional. Now you have a coloring book, which I do have. And I will admit that coloring is very therapeutic. So before we go, tell us a little bit more about that, because I, I have to be honest, this is confession. So, you know, even if I have these thoughts that, you know, sometimes I'm ashamed to share later, I will share it because many other people may feel the same way. But I, when I associated coloring, I just thought about children and growing up but that's not necessarily the case. And I'm learning more about it. And now that I've experienced it through your coloring book, I, I get it now. Can you, in your own words, tell us more, a little bit about your coloring book? Sure. Um, the Mental Wellness Warrior coloring book is a coloring book full of positive affirmation, but images of African-Americans. So one of the things that I saw was that there were no coloring books that were specifically for African-Americans that had images about mental wellness, right? Um, and Kyra Connor, me and her collaborated to design the coloring book. And 
it has made such a huge impact in people's lives. Like I was, I knew it was going to be great, but I've just been blown away by um, people who are um, their kids, seniors, adults, who just practitioners who pick up the coloring book and say that this coloring book has made a difference in the lives of my students. Um, this coloring book has made a difference in my life. I, this is therapeutic for me to color this color, these images, but also what the words say. So, you know, there's words that are like slay every day, you know, so there's a little bit of Beyonce flavor in the coloring book. Then you have like, love your life, live with purpose or mental wellness is freedom or love yourself and love others. Getting support is strength. Um, support is necessary to thrive. So these are all images that focus on mental wellness. And what we focus on with Sister Afia is community support. And so putting those images with those messages in the coloring book is, I think, what makes it very unique um, and makes it stand out compared to a lot of other coloring books that are out there. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. So we know how to find find you now. We know what Sister Afia is about. We know about Bold and Bipolar. Uh, what else is coming down the pipeline that you would like to share? So Veterans Day weekend, we're having Black Mental Wellness Weekend for the second year. Last year, Black Mental Wellness Weekend was amazing. We had over 200 people who came out. We had 20 different workshops across four days where people from the community could just come and learn about you know, various topics about mental wellness. And it was really powerful. So that's coming. And um, that's really the next biggest thing. Every month we have Sister Support Group on the last Sunday of every month. So if you go to sisterafia.com slash events, then you'll be able to find, um, you'll be able to find out when we have our sister support groups. And then um, we'll also be adding a couple of more fun events throughout the, throughout the, throughout the year. So those are the two things we always have sister support group. We'll probably have our most popular workshop mental wellness supporting the whole black woman in either September or October. And then we have black mental wellness weekend, which will be veterans day weekend, November 9th, 10th and 11th. Okay. Sounds good. So as we part ways, and it's been such a pleasure speaking to you today, Kamisha, anything else you want to share with the audience before we go? Yeah. I'll say if you're out there and you're living with a mental health condition and you know that things are really difficult for you, go and seek help. Um, Sister Afia is just one uh, website that has a lot of useful resources and information. I also say reach out to community. Mental wellness um, and just the field is very individualistic. And what we try to do with Sister Afia is uh, embrace the importance of community. So whatever your community support system looks like, reach out to those people because they can make a really big difference in your healing. And that's really all that I have uh, left to say. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, no problem. No problem. Well, family, of course, it's been another great episode. If you guys have any confessions you want to make, don't forget to go to confessionsofamelanatedqueen.com. You can um, submit an anonymous confession and maybe we can address that with someone on the show for you. If you have any other questions or concerns, feel free to email me at laurentmeeks at gmail.com. As always, it's been fun. You guys take care. Thank you for listening to Confessions of a Melanated Queen. Follow Dr. Meeks on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dr. Lauren Meeks. If you have a confession, 
Visit confessionsofamelanatedqueen.com and share your story. Peace and love.